series that we've been in, if you've been here since October, uh, The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg is a book about spiritual disciplines. And right now we're talking about the Bible and reflecting on Scripture. And today I actually titled this message, um, A Living Book. A living book. And there is a lot in chapter 11 that I didn't cover. Um, in fact, today is the last sermon I'm going to preach on this topic in this series. And so it's not like I'm never going to talk about the Bible again. Um, and so I'm going to try to cram uh, a lot into today. So buckle up um, and be ready for the things I just feel like God has put on my heart about the Bible. This has been a journey that I have been on for all of my life. I've been reading and studying the Bible in some form or another. But since 2012, when I visited Israel, um, I began to see the Bible from a totally different lens. And I have been in a journey and a process, and I love the Facebook memories that keep popping up um, that remind me of things like the first time I heard that and was like trying to process what it was. And so um, today, as we talk about the Bible, I wanted to start because in the Assemblies of God, the Bible to us is very important. Um, The very little Spanish I know, it's muy importante. Um, And so it is a foundation for us in the assemblies of God. And our, what we call 16 fundamental truths, um, this is how we put on our website, this is what we think of the 16 fundamental truths in the Bible. This is it. So I'm going to read it to you. We'll put it on the screen for you too. The Bible is our all-sufficient rule for faith and practice. This statement of fundamental truths is intended simply as a basis for fellowship among us. So we have 16 things we believe. Um, I mean, we believe a lot more than that, but these are the things that hold us together in the assemblies of God. We all speak the same thing. The phraseology employed in this statement is not inspired. It is not contended for. But the truth set out is held to be essential for full gospel ministry. No claim is made that these 16 fundamental truths cover all biblical truth, only that it covers our need as to these fundamental doctrines. Okay, so the Bible is first. 16 truths we believe that come out of Scripture for us to walk in commonality, if you will. The first truth is that the Scriptures are inspired. The Scriptures, both the Old and New Testaments, are verbally inspired of God and are the revelation of God to man, the infallible, authoritative rule of faith and conduct. That is what I believe. That is what we believe in the assemblies of God. And if for any reason today you hear me or think you hear me say otherwise, refer back to the beginning of this message. Today's message, it it makes me nervous. Because I know that there will be people that hear it. And they will take some of the things that I say and they will use it as a license to change everything. Or to, to take some biblical truths that we believe and say, see, these aren't true. This is just some archaic thing and the Bible doesn't really say that. And they're going to twist some of the things I say to give them license to do whatever they want to do. However, there's going to be another group on the opposite extreme that are going to hear the words I say, and they're going to label me with all kinds of words like liberal or woke or all kinds of nasty phrases that we like to throw out there today. Because we latch on to key phrases and we don't listen to the, to the overall message. And so you would think, well, then Pastor Tom, why would you preach it? Well, because there is a way to view Scripture that changes everything. I believe it brings the kingdom And I think it's essential. And this isn't the first time we've talked about it. We've been talking about it since 2012 as a church. Back in 2019 and 20, I actually preached a series called Trust the Story. If you remember, I mean, COVID kind of got in there and tried to mess up the series, but we just full speed ahead plowed through it. Where we took the entire Bible and traced the narrative of the story of the Bible all the way through. And last week, I preached a sermon called Handle with Care, talking about how to interact with the Scripture in a way that we are careful not to twist it. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Study. We have to know the Word. We have to be grounded in the Word. We have to be careful to handle the Word correctly. 
Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, we have to be understanding of the things that are written in Scripture, especially the writings of Paul, because the writings of Paul are hard to understand. And people are twisting the words of Paul, or they're twisting the Scripture to do whatever they want to do. And I know that most of us in the room will hear that statement, and we will think of people that are doing that. I'm here to tell us that we all have a tendency to do that. We all have these biases, cultural biases, personal biases, religious biases, where we automatically, we begin to twist things, and we need people in our lives, at our table, in our circle, that are going to push back against us so that we make sure we're wrestling with the truths of Scripture and letting the Word of God shape us, not twisting it to be what we want it to be or maybe what we were taught it should be. I'll explain a bias this way. When we first started running the the Fine Arts Center, to unlock these doors, the main entrance doors, you have to use one of those little keys to, to push the panic bar. And for the life of us, we could not figure out how to unlock these things or to keep those bars to unlock. It just, uh, every week was a struggle. And I mean, I've done panic bars everywhere, different places. So this is a new thing to me, but these things were hard to manage. And the other day, when we were here, I didn't, I just, I go through now and I just, I twist them and boom, they're unlocked. They didn't repair them. My brain has taught me how to open them. And now I do it without thinking. That's a bias. We read things, we interpret things, we take in messages, and our brain just does the work for us. We don't even have to think about it anymore. And if that bias is wrong or incorrect, it changes everything. And we have to be careful that we let the Word of God shape us and not shape it. Does that make sense? So I introduced us to the Bible Project Bible Reading Plan that Stan referenced this this morning. And I love the Bible Project. Does that mean everything on the Bible Project is true and I agree with it? No. No. I mean, if I'm only going to present to you the things that I totally agree with and are 100% accurate, (laughs) let's just go home. I mean, I don't even know sometimes if what I'm saying is 100% accurate. There are people that I ask after sermons, hey, when I said this, that makes sense. Was I wrong? Am I incorrect? Help me. People in our church and people outside of our church, help me shape what I'm saying. Because I know this. I don't have all the answers. Neither do you. And so we want to be able to grow together. The Bible Project helps us see the Bible as a complete story. That's why I've invited us into that. In 2019, I introduced our church to the Bema podcast. And I know that some of you hate the Bema podcast. I would say some of you didn't even really listen to it and you hate it. But some of you listen to it and you're like, it's just too much. And I understand all of our brains aren't wired the same way and it's not for everyone. But they have a way of presenting the Scripture as a complete story to help us unpack it. I have tried to do my part to bring some of that on Sunday mornings, but in 30 minutes, three times, two times a month, for us to be able to come together and for me to be able to unpack all that truth, we've got to study the Word outside of us here in this room, or it's just not going to be good enough. And that's what I tried to get across last week, and I'm going to build on that this week. But I want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If you want to uh, use your, your device or if you want to use the screen, you can do that. It's on the screen too. And there's three things I want to share about the Bible today. I could probably share a lot, but we're going to do, we're going to do three. 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writing to young Timothy who's pastoring a church in Ephesus. And he gives him these words. By the way, when Paul wrote this, this was a letter to Timothy. Paul probably did not know that this was going to be in our Bible today and that you and I would be reading and learning from it. The Holy Spirit did, but Paul didn't. He's writing a letter to his young protege, mentoring him, okay? So that's the context of it. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because... You know those from whom you've learned it. And how from infancy 
you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed or inspired by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All of us are going to say amen to that, right? Amen. In fact, Scripture's inspired assemblies of God. That's our first Scripture proof text right there to fundamental doctrine number one. That's it. Right there. First thing about the Bible. The Bible is a contextual book. It's a contextual book. I covered this a little bit last week. I'm going to cover it a little bit more. The Bible as we have it today, it's a 66 collection of books that we have in front of us. This book was not written to us, but it was written for us. What that means is, I cannot read this book as a 2022 westernized American male Christian and act like it is written to me. If I do, I will misapply it. I will misunderstand it. I have to know something about who it was written to. Okay? I've got to know the context. We misapply the Scripture if we're not diligent to understand how it was written at first. And when I talk about studying the Scripture, I know some of us are like, oh. But here's the thing. We will sit through a three-hour movie in our generation and leave like, oh, that was so amazing. Oh, I couldn't believe it. I went to Top Gun. And I know there's differing opinions about Top Gun. I love Top Gun, and I loved the movie. And I had to go to the bathroom Badly, I shouldn't have got a cherry Pepsi. It was a moment of weakness. But I'm like, I'm not leaving. I sat there so uncomfortable. Leaned over to my wife and said, bring the popcorn when you leave. As soon as this is over, I'm going to the bathroom. But I want to refill it before we leave. Because I wanted to see the movie. So I'm just like the rest of our culture. We will sit through a three-hour sporting event. Oh, yeah! But when is the last time you and I took this book for three hours, got some Bible reference tools, and really dug into it? And we think in the last days we're going to stand firm. There's a danger when we don't take time to study this book, especially in its context. I know that in Pentecostal circles, we say, well, well, we have the Spirit of God. You're right. And it's funny how much the Spirit of God, to me, sounds like a white, male, American Christian. And if I don't get in this book, especially with other people, I will let the Holy Spirit sound just like I want Him to sound. And I won't do it on purpose. I won't do it like deceitfully. It's just what's going to happen. I've got to keep the Bible in its context. What does that mean? When, when Paul says all Scripture is God-breathed, do you understand what he's talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament. There is no New Testament when Paul wrote those words. I mean, and I'm not going to argue with you that for us today, the New Testament is also a part of Scripture. But what, what's key here is that all that existed was the Torah, the five books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which I hate to refer to as law because it's not the law. That's a terrible interpretation of the word Torah. Torah means teaching or instruction. Now, there are 600 laws contained in the Torah, but the Torah, Genesis through uh, Deuteronomy, is not law. It's teaching. It's instruction. And that makes a big difference because the Torah is not extinct today. And some people view like the Old Testament as irrelevant because they view all of the Old Testament as law. It's not all law. In fact, after that comes the prophetic books. The prophetic books start in Joshua. I know we call them history, but the Jews don't. They call it Joshua, Judges, and then they they go to Samuel, and they go to Kings, and those are prophetic books because it's the word of the Lord. It's prophecy. And then it contains all the prophets as well. And then there's the writings. 
in the writings, of course, of the Psalms and the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. But did you know that Ruth is a writing? Did you know that Job is a writing? Did you know that Daniel is a writing? Did you know that Chronicles is a writing? And does it make a difference if that's a writing versus a prophetic book? Because we think Daniel's prophecy. For Jesus, Daniel was a writing. Does it matter? I bet. I bet it makes a difference somewhere. The, the last thing I want you to do today is leave here totally overwhelmed and be like, oh my goodness, we have to study the Bible for three hours this week. Please do not try to study the Bible for three hours this week. Just do more. Do more than you're right now doing. Find someone else to study it with. Get in a Bible reading plan with someone else. Pick up a Bible reading plan. Do something more. Use BibleGateway.com. Use BlueBible.com. Use some type of resource that's going to give you Hebrew and Greek meanings and try to pull out something that you've never done before. Build on it. Because the, the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures, Paul says this, the Old Testament Scriptures are able to lead us to salvation. They're able to thoroughly equip us there was no New Testament needed. Now, I'm not saying we don't need the New Testament today, but I don't think we understand the Old Testament well enough. And I believe that our New Testament application sometimes is messed up in the church world today because we don't understand the Old Testament. When Jesus taught the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, he started with Moses and all the prophets, and then he interpreted everything about himself. We take the New Testament sometimes, and we, we read it as if, again, it's a Western book written to us. We keep it away from the, the interpretation of the Old Testament Scripture, and we think it's truth. And it might not be what we think it is. I want us to learn how to dig into the Scripture. I don't know if you understand church history or where this book came from, but our English Bibles have gotten to us um, through all kinds of history. And I'm, I don't want to present it in a way that makes you think I don't trust it. I trust this book. I absolutely trust the authority of this book today. But when, they, when the first scriptures came about, the English scriptures, they weren't translated from the Greek and the Hebrew. They were translated from Latin. Someone had translated them into Latin and then from Latin into English. And if you know anything about translations, there's a problem there. And people today balk and they're like, well, why are all these translations changing? And why are all these things happening? And why are we starting to question like what things mean? Because when they first translated like the King James in the 1600 and other versions after, they did start going back to the original manuscripts and starting to learn in Greek and, and Hebrew. But they didn't even know what the Greek was. They thought this, the Greek that the Bible was written in was some crazy, like supernatural Greek. It wasn't even like a language of earth Greek. It was so different from anything they knew. Then they dug up some stuff. They had these archaeological finds and they realized that it was just written in common Greek. Oh, we learned something. The first, the first Hebrew uh, translation, the first translation of the Bible um, in English from a Hebrew translation, the oldest copy we had came from 1000 AD. That, may not mean, that might not mean a lot to you, but the oldest like, happenings in the Old Testament are actually from like 500 B.C., so you're talking like the, the, the Hebrew translation that they had was 1,500 years old when they started translating it. And Hebrew itself is so hard to understand that we're learning stuff as we go. And so today, we will hear things. We will hear scholars say things, and, you're, and some of us are like, oh, they're just twisting the Scriptures. They're twisting the Scriptures. Not everything is a twisting of the Scriptures. Some things are setting things Right. We have to understand the context the Scripture is written in. One of them, I, I know i got to move on. There's so much I would say about this, but I, I, we just don't have time. Um, one of those things comes from Genesis chapter 3. How many of you remember Adam and Eve in the garden, they sinned, and then in the cool of the day, God came to walk with them, right? That's what the Bible says, right? In the cool of the day, God came to, and he's like, Adam, where are you? I'm here for our cool of the day walk. 
the funny thing about that word, cool of the day, it's the word ruach in the Hebrew, which is the word for spirit, wind. Do you know how many times in the scripture that word appears? Probably uh, hundreds of times. Spirit, wind, power, quaking. Do you know how many times it appears as the cool of the day? Once. If you look at the New English translation today, there'll be a footnote in your Bible. It will not say cool of the day. The Spirit of the Lord that hovered over the waters in Genesis chapter 1 is the same Spirit of the Lord that shows up in Genesis chapter 3. Not going, oh Adam, where are you? He comes in a fearful way. Adam and Eve didn't just hide because they were covered with shame. God showed up for a confrontation. I mean, he's still a God of love. But we have developed this whole theology about how God walked with them in the cool of the day every single day because we didn't understand what this word meant. That doesn't really change our theology a lot, does it? No, but there are a lot of things we can learn. One of them is the overall way we view Scripture. Jacob and Esau, remember Jacob and Esau? They wrestled in the mom's womb. And it says, Rachel gets a word from the Lord that the younger or the older will serve the younger. Remember that? That was so bizarre. That doesn't happen. The older will serve the younger. The funny thing about that word in Hebrew is it's not clear which, what it means. It's not clear whether the older serves the younger or the, younger is, or the older is served by the younger. Let me say that again. It's not clear whether the older will serve the younger or the older is served by the younger. It's not clear. The context has to tell us everything. And so, obviously, in the context, it's true that, Je- that Esau serves Jacob. It happens. But Jewish commentators look at that word, and over the years, this is what they've, they've taught. If you, people of God, will follow God faithfully, Esau will serve Jacob, Israel, the people of God. If you do not follow God faithfully, you will be forced to serve the other. The ambiguousness of that word actually means both things. If we stop serving God faithfully, God will allow us to then be the servants to Esau. So look at history and how many times the Edomites are actually in control of the land of Israel because Israel became unfaithful to God. And Jesus comes on the scene and he begins to echo some of these words in some of the teachings that he says. And King Herod of the Roman Empire is a descendant of what great nation? Hmm, the Edomites from Esau. And Jesus comes on the scene where there are these zealots who are like, we're going to overthrow Rome. Get the swords. Let's kill. Because in the name of the Lord, we're going to overthrow Rome. And I believe Jesus doesn't teach that. I believe Jesus teaches, if you are faithful to the kingdom, you live in the kingdom, you will no longer serve Rome. Rome will serve you. And he taught this gospel not to fight against the culture, but to live a totally different kingdom culture so the kingdom would come and the roles would be reversed. That's what Jesus taught. That's the teaching of the narrative of Scripture. Does that mean we shouldn't, we shouldn't actually try to get abortion stopped or this stopped? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that at all. But if you want the kingdom to come, the sword isn't going to do it. It's not going to do it. And we have bought into a narrative that if we can just force people to obey, it's going to happen. And we would, I mean, we don't even want to get to the place where we can actually say, God, are we being, are we serving, or are we slaves to the leaders of our world because of our unfaithfulness to you? Because if you study the New Testament, the people of Israel went into captivity, yes, for idolatry, Yes, for sexual immorality. But do you know what the overwhelming condemnation of the prophets is to the people of Israel before they went into captivity? The mistreatment of the poor, the mistreatment of their workers, and the mistreatment of the foreigner. It's everywhere. The idea of justice is everywhere in the Old Testament. And anytime someone today says the word social gospel or social justice, everybody goes crazy. Okay, so I won't use it. But let's use the word justice because it's a biblical word and it's there 
over and over again. And I think the church needs to understand the Old Testament if we're going to better live out the New Testament in our world today. The Bible is contextual. We can talk about that later, but uh, I, I just have to move on or I'm not going to get done. Oh, no, let me give you one more. Well, I got to give you one more. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Remember Jesus writing in the sand, the woman caught in adultery? And we're all like, what's the biggest question you and I have with John chapter 8? What did he write? I mean, we want to know what he wrote. And so like, but here's the thing. The Bible always gives us everything we need. I would appeal to you that what he wrote does not matter. Do you know what matters more? The fact that he wrote. Huh? In our world, everybody writes. It's no big deal. But for Jesus to write, he had to have some type of schooling. He had to be some type of scribe. How is he writing? And if you go back a few verses, you'll find them questioning, could he be the Messiah? How could he be the Messiah? He's uneducated. How could he be the Messiah? He, he, he's not a scribe. He's not any... And Jesus, by just getting down on his knees and, and writing <laughs> on the ground, is answering everything they're questioning. And we get so hung up on something that just doesn't even matter, and we miss what mattered most. Context is king. Let me just tell you, context is king. Second thing. It's a communal book. It's a communal book. It's meant to be studied together. We serve a communal God. Ephesians chapter 2. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You are fellow citizens with God's people, all members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And him, you too, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is a communal book meant to be studied together. It wasn't just because they didn't have copies of the scripture that they didn't study it in their own homes. They studied it because it's meant to be a communal book because it's a community this is who we are. Paul says to Timothy, you know who taught you these things. This isn't some charlatan that you're watching on TV. This isn't just some podcast of some guy you picked up. You need to study this book with flesh and blood people. Don't get me wrong. I love books. I love podcasts. I love Christian TV. I love it all. But if we are not studying this book with flesh and blood people, we will twist it to make it mean what we want it to mean. We need people in community wrestling with these things together. This is what's needed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the Apostle Paul says, what should we say? When you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word, instruction, a tongue, a revelation, an interpretation, but everything must be done so that the church will be built up. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. If we are going to continue to be a church that just meets together on Sunday mornings, has a little service, and goes our own separate ways, and we are not going to fight for a community that wrestles with this book together, it doesn't mean we have more church services. It means we become a people that get invested in each other's lives, dig into this book together, confront each other in this book, wrestle with it in a way that transforms us and helps us to live as a kingdom culture in this community. If we're not going to do that, we're not going to invite heaven to earth. It's a communal book. And the thing is, is no one has the right view by themselves. We don't understand in our, our, our context, I've, I've taught this before, the people that Jesus picked to be his disciples. He picked some zealots. He picked some Essenes. He picked some Pharisees. He picked some Herodians. He puts people at his table in our modern day context. They would be Republicans. They would be Democrats. They would be independents. And they would be libertarians. That's who would be at Jesus' table. And we all think that our one view is the right view on everything. And Jesus comes along to say, none of you are all right. You need each other to get the right. Praise the Lord. That's good preaching, Pastor Tom. I'm going to live that out in my life. I'm going to make sure all of my Facebook posts are that way too because that's what this world needs to hear. Ain't nobody got it all right. We need each other. 
And the moment we start thinking, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm dismissing you, I heard the key phrase, I know you, I know more than you. Oh, we live in a world of experts today, don't we? Everybody knows everything. I know more than doctors. I've got WebMD. I don't need the doctor. I know. I mean, I didn't take political science or I didn't study history or government and how it works. I don't know how bills work, but I know more than politicians today. I mean, we go into someone's business and we don't have any idea about economics or advertising or anything, but we know how to run that business. And church leaders, oh, Pastor Tom, I have a Bible and I've got all these apps. I don't care that people have studied and got all these degrees. That's just, that's just scholarship. We don't need that stuff. See how that traipses into our lives? We, we all think we're the expert. And the funny thing is, is God's like, none of you are experts. You all need each other. That's why I gave you each other. Work together. And how frustrated he still gets with us when he's like, oh, people, how long do I have to put up with you? Work together. Come together and work this out. The Bible is for everyone. But did you know that God gives us leaders in the church? He does. Ephesians chapter 4. Look at this. Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Look, he gave us leaders in the church. Oh, but we don't need leaders in the church today because we all have a Bible, right? false. We need leaders in the church. We need people whose job it is to study the word, to know the word, to teach us the word, to help us understand the word, not so that we can look at them and say, well, I don't want to agree with that word, so I'm just going to put it on a shelf. Or not to just say, well, oh, you are the almighty pastor, so I must listen to everything you say. Both of those are errors, and we don't follow either of those. In fact, look at this verse from Hebrews 13, 17. Actually, I preached this sermon one time when I was a young pastor and I actually had someone come to my office and rebuke me for this. Rebuke me for reading the Bible. I don't know what you want me to do with it, but here it is. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Oh, what do you mean by that, Pastor Tom? You want to try to control us? Heck no. I can't even control myself. I don't want to control anyone else. I mean, I have hard enough time being responsible for me. I can't stop eating pop ice cream. I don't want to be responsible for all of us. But I want you to, the, the most important thing in this entire verse is this. The letter S. Do you see it? Leaders. There have been times in church history where we've gotten this way wrong. And the cult of personality, I mean, I, I was going to, you know, rev- go through history and talk, up, talk names. I hate to drop names because it sounds judgy and I'm not, I will not judge any leader who's ever failed. I am not their judge, okay? But there have been people who have failed because they were the, the leader of a church. And entire churches and denominations have been stained because we, we over-revered one person. It's never meant to be on the backs of one person, ever. Because there's a leaders, leaders in the body of Christ. And that's necessary. There needs to be this accountability. Paul corrected Peter. Paul submitted to the apostles' teacher. But we live in a culture today that rejects any type of authority. And can I tell you, we cannot, as, bo- as followers of Christ, reject authority. Peter says false teachers reject authority. We can't. And I'm not just talking church leaders. I'm talking your boss at work. Now get this. If your boss at work tells you to sin, please, by all means, use the Scripture to disobey them. But if your boss tells you to do something that you just don't think is right, do it. Zip your lip and do it. Because I believe the Scripture teaches us we can actually learn through leaders who are even harsh to us. And I think the church is living in a day where we are just rejecting any type of authority. We talk about our political leaders in a way that's frightening. I am sorry, but a hashtag FBJ, 
I don't even know what to do with that in the church world today. That we would use the F word to speak of a sitting president. I, there are times, Lord, Lord, I don't know where we have gone. I don't care what they believe. We have bought into this narrative and this lie. We yell at our kids, Little League coaches, because we know more than them. I mean, do you see what we're doing? We've got to rein this in in the body of Christ. And what a great place to start. In a safe place. Here's the thing. If you don't, you don't like something I'm teaching, you think I'm way off base, my door is always open. Always. I have never rejected anyone to come and talk to me about something they disagree with. Ever. And yet people will tell you, don't go talk to Pastor Tom. It won't make, it won't make a difference. That's a demonic lie. Because that person's never done it. Guarantee you. Ask the question, did you ever go talk to them? And it's not just Pastor Tom. It's every leader. I mean, it's open season. Criticize every leader, but don't actually do the biblical thing of going to them, blessing them, encouraging them, finding what they're doing right. This is a communal book. And community has leadership, and it has everybody matters. Everybody needs to speak up. Everybody needs to come to the table. It's both. And we need it. Keep moving, because there's so much left to do. We're not going to get through it all, but praise the Lord, we're going to get through some of it. The last point is the most important point, and I saved it for last, (laughs) because it's a conversational book. And I only did that because I'm a pastor, and if you want to put that point up, see, it's a conversational book, and they're all C's, because that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to package it in a way that's easy for you to remember and understand you're welcome. It's a conversational book. Do you know what I mean by that? I mean, it's alive. It speaks. This book speaks. And if you don't hear anything else I say today, we'll work on that later, you've got to hear this. Bill Johnson says it this way. This is the only book you will ever read where the author shows up every time you read it. Every time. Sometimes you'll pick it up and read it and you'll think the author's far away. I promise you, he's there. Because this book is alive. It lives. And if you get it in you, you will live too. And I know I said you've got to study, and I know I said all these other things, but don't let that be a reason to just stop getting in this book. Because this book is alive. We don't have to change everything. There are some adaptions. There are some corrections. There are some tensions that you and I are going to have to live with. And as Westerners, we love it when everything just works out nicely. Don't we? I mean, we just like, do you know, a a musical note, a sustained chord that makes that sound where you're like waiting for the chord to finish. You know, you're just anticipating it. It's there. We need it. Sometimes it, it doesn't happen. Sometimes we study and we wrestle with the book and we're like, oh, there's a tension that I have to live with. And do you know what? We will always live with the tension because we serve a God that's bigger than any box we can put him in. And so the more we learn and the more we grow, this book is alive. You need to read it. You need to memorize it. You need to study it. You need to meditate on it. There have been studies about the persecuted church around the world and the the persecuted believers who are faithful and die faithful to to the Lord. And then there there are those that are persecuted and they're not faithful. The persecution actually keeps them from being faithful to God and they turn back. And do you know what the overwhelming difference is in the lives of those that stay faithful and those that turn back? how much scripture they've memorized. It's not the only difference, but there's a correlation to how much scripture they've memorized and their ability to stand firm. You may read and memorize something and you're like, I don't even know what that means. I mean, I don't know what context to put that in, Pastor Tom. I I, I can't find a Bama episode. I can't find anything on Blue Letter Bible. I've gone everywhere and I don't know what to do. Memorize it anyway because it's alive. And I promise you, there is a God who walks, watches over you and who lives with you and He will pull that thing out when He needs to and He will use it in ways that you, you'll be surprised. You'll probably say it and, you'll be, and someone will be like, 
wow, that was so profound. And you'll be like, I know, did I just say that? I didn't, I don't, I don't know where it came from. I'll tell you where it came from. It came from you putting it in you. And the Holy Spirit drew it out. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The Word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of whom we must give account. That should not frighten us. That should excite us. Because God's Word, when we put it in us, is going to cut us up in ways we didn't even know. He is going to be like, we're going to sleep at night and like a surgeon, the Holy Spirit is going to cut stuff away because we took the time to get His Word in us and meditate on it. And we, yeah, we watched Top Gun, but we also studied the book. I'm not against Top Gun and I'm not against the NBA or the NHL. I'm not against other things. We've got to get this book in us. I believe... I'm so nervous to say this. <laughs> I believe that we, that God can even use misinterpreted Scripture to bring people into an encounter with Him. Yeah. Because you know what happens when we start studying the Word and the danger is you hear someone preach a sermon and they're using it out of context and they're not being true to the original author's intent. And, and you can be like, you can sit there in critical mode Oh, dear God, don't. Don't. Because I have seen people get saved from messages that I'm like, I don't know how they got anything out of that. <laughs> because that was the weirdest misinterpreted thing I've ever heard in my life. And yet God used it to powerfully transform someone's life. I don't get it. How is that possible? Because this book is alive. And God can surprise us. I don't know if like maybe the Holy Spirit was working in the airwaves and he just twisted the words and put them in their mind the right way. I don't know. Don't get overly critical of people. Don't do it. The book is alive. By the way, in John chapter 11, the high priest Caiaphas, in an interpretation of Scripture, says it's better for Jesus to die, for one man to die than the entire nation to perish. <laughs> Misinterpretation of Scripture. But yet it was prophetic. Oh, there are ways. Don't get hung up. Study, know it. And you're like, well, Pastor Tom, uh, if it doesn't matter anyway, why study? Because it does matter. I know, it sounds like a contradiction. I couldn't think of a better way to say it. The book is alive. It's alive. Don't be afraid of questions people are asking right now. People are deconstructing their faith. Let them. You do it. Ask questions. But can I give you some help when you question? The first thing you have to remember, if you're going to come to this book, Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. If you're going to question this book, you question it as the authoritative word of God. If you want to look for all of the flaws and faults and you're going to question whether or not it is the authoritative word of God, you will be able to do that. But if you come to it saying, I've got questions, that doesn't make sense. I don't understand how that works. I promise you this book will speak to you. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, the serpent comes to Eve and says, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Ooh, see, this is why we shouldn't deconstruct our faith and ask questions because the, the devil's in the questions. John chapter 6, Jesus has just told the crowd, Eat my blood, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And the crowd's like, Dude, this guy is whacked. We are out of here. And then Jesus turns around to his disciples, the 12, and he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom should we go? 
You have the words of eternal life and we've come to know that and believe that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus asked them the same, almost the same question. Did God really say, do you want to go too? Yeah, we want to go. But dude, you are the Messiah. We know it. And there's got to be something in here that says, this is God's word. There's got to be something in here that says, these are the people of God that I'm with. I don't, there's something about that, Pastor Tom. I don't like everything he says. He, he really, he's a head scratcher. If I, don't, if I don't make you scratch your head, I'm not doing my job. That's what I believe. If you agree with everything I say, I'm useless. You're useless. There's got to be some tension in our lives, in the body of Christ. Dear Lord, am I asking for tension. That's how we grow. But we do it knowing, I know the Spirit of God lives in you. You know the Spirit of God lives in me. We're not going to run away from each other. We're going to work together. We're going to sit at the table. We're going to wrestle this out. And we might leave a conversation with a sustained cord for 30 years. But someday, that baby is going to resolve and we're going to be like, ah, neither of us was right. But thank God we kept fighting because we figured it out together. Man, this book is so so powerful. And I hope that over the last two weeks, I've challenged you to study it more than you have been. I hope that I've challenged you to take people that maybe you heard somebody preach something once and you were like, mm, I, I want us to be like the Bereans. I listened to, uh, there's a teacher that I, I was going to talk about, but I, I can't talk about by name, and I hope you don't understand who I mean, but he, this person has made some major contributions to the body of Christ. He's brilliant. He's brilliant. I have a hard time listening to him. I really do. Because um, I also think he's arrogant. <laughs> but um, so am I. <laughs> but that's okay. So that's okay. Um, but there's two main things that he teaches that I actually disagree with totally, but he's so mean about it. He's just, he's mean. Um, he's made derogatory comments to people that would ever believe such a thing. And um, he hasn't actually gone so far as to say those people are going to hell, but it's pretty close. And so I, I, I want to just dismiss. I'm, I'm like, you, you have no place at my table. Like, I don't even want to listen to you because it's so hard to listen to you because I hear you through that lens and it's just like, Mwah! but he's brilliant. And he brings stuff to the table that if I can deal with this and listen, he'll have something to teach me. He'll have something to teach me. And so it's easy to dismiss people and be like, that person's out in left field because they believe that one thing. Don't do it. Have a core, a body of Christ that you belong to that you really belong to, not that you show up on Sunday, you belong to, that you dig in the word with and say, hey, I heard this preached. Help me wrestle with it. And don't, be, don't get someone to be like, oh, that's wrong. That's not in the Bible. Say, no, help me wrestle with it. Let's really wrestle with it before we just dismiss it. Oh, I know. I told you, this is a bad sermon. There's so much potential here for this to go, go bad. But I, I trust you. I do. I trust that you know me and that I know you. And if you're watching online and don't know any of us, don't twist this. Because there's so much more. There's so much more. There's so much scholarship out there. I used to be one of those arrogant Pentecostals that thought, you know, we didn't need like... I mean, at one time I was actually the anti-Pentecostal, and then I became one of those arrogant Pentecostals that thought we didn't need scholarship. Those people that don't have the Spirit don't have anything to teach us. Oh, dear God, forgive us. They have the Spirit. If they don't believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit for today, they still have something to teach us. I mean, they are getting some things right that you and I in Pentecostal world, we're not even close on. And so don't dismiss people from your table but always stay connected to a body of Christ that watches your life so you don't go off the deep end because there's that danger. Does that make sense? The points again, 
It's a contextual book. Study it, put it in context, know it. You're not responsible for all the scholarship that's out there, but you are responsible for what God puts in front of you. So if I put something in front of you, at least wrestle with it. If a friend says, hey, read this book, I know. Everybody's like, really? I don't have time to read a book. At least wrestle with it. If someone says, hey, listen to this podcast, trust that maybe God put it in your life for a reason. And at least wrestle with it. Okay? At least wrestle with it. Contextual, communal, body of Christ, and it's conversational. Don't twist anything I said. God can use this book in powerful ways and surprise us. And so, Father, thank you for never treating us as our sins have deserved and for never leaving us alone. Thank you that you have given us a book that, albeit has been twisted through the years in weird ways, has been presented to us in an authoritative and infallible way. And God, even though maybe our interpretations have been fallible, your word never, is inf- is never fails. It never fails. It is living. It's active. It's powerful. Holy Spirit, if I've said anything today that you're not pleased with, I pray that you would just erase it from the minds of the people in this room and the people listening. But I pray that today you would take the things that are from you and that you would put them deep in our hearts, that we would become students of this book, that we would become students of this book together. And God, that we would never treat this book as common, but that every time we pick it up, we would remind ourselves it lives, that it breathes. And the time we spend with it is never, ever wasted. So breathe on this book this week in the lives of every person in this room, every person watching online. Cause it to come alive in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If I did say anything today that you're like, Pastor Tom, you're crazy, I mean it. My door is always open. I'd love to talk about it. Um, I would ask that you wait till June 20th to talk about it (laughs) because my life this week is really hard and uh, it's just going to be crazy busy. It's a good week for us. Pray for us. Uh, Our daughter gets married next Sunday and so we are excited uh, for her and for that and uh, it's just a crazy week and I'm just not sure I'll have the energy for a hard conversation this week but write it down because we can have it as soon as I get back, I promise. Um, I don't mind wrestling with people about the scripture and about the Bible. That's how both of us learn and grow. And so if you're looking for more tools to help you, um, back when we did Trust the Story, I gave websites and other resources that are available. Um, Send me a text, send me an email. I'll give you all of that information. Um, Start somewhere, dig in more. That's my heart. That's my desire. Stop by the table before you leave. Thanks for staying a little bit long today and putting up with me and uh, hope you learned something. God bless you as you go. From urban streets to open plains, we are under one name. No one is lost or goes unseen, cause we're all loved by our key. This is nothing.